If I walk around London going, hello, governor. Oh, don't do, do that. Do you think they're going to like it or no? No, don't do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what you definitely shouldn't do? What? Good day, mate. Because no. that's Australia. <laughs> don't do that. Definitely don't do that. Hi, Julian Benzavalli. Good day, mate. No, hi. <laughs> Hello, Patrick Hines. Oh, fam, before we get to the show, listen, just a couple of things. Sure. Fam, come see us at Obsessed Fest. So look, it is going to be a full weekend, 2,200 of your true crime best friends. We're very nearly sold out. It's in Columbus, Ohio, Hyatt Regency from September 30th to October 2nd. Yeah, we're starting off spooky season together. It is going to be so bananas. The Friday and the Saturday are programming during the day, so it's panels with you and me and Joey and Ellen and Bob Ruff and yes. Robbie Maggie, Amber Hunt, Daisy. Egan, the Let's Go to Court ladies, yes. the Generation Y guys, Tim and Lance from oh Missing, goodness. Rebecca and Kevin from Crime Writers I on, mean, tons of people. Payne, Lindsay, Payne and Rebecca are going to do like a one-on-one Q&A, like they're just going to talk about Fun. stuff, it's going to be so great. You and Bob are going to do a West Memphis 3 panel. We most certainly are. There may or may not be a special guest joining you for that. There may or may not be, we'll <laughs> see how that whole thing goes. But we're also doing like fun events, we're doing like Family Feud, yes. and I'm doing a Taylor Swift sing-along, and we're going to have like true crime stuff and not true crime stuff and just fun things. And all of that stuff is happening during the day, so you get all of that included with your festival pass. Right. In addition, we're doing live shows at night. It's a separate ticket. Depending on your package. Depending on your package, but right now, if you haven't purchased either, you purchase your day pass to the festival, and then your live shows separately. You pick which ones you want to come to, so it's Scamfluencers, right. and then Obsessed with Disappeared on right. Friday, Morbid, and then True Crime Obsessed, Uh-oh. and then an epic, epic drag brunch on Sunday morning. Oh, we're going to have a good time, aren't Bam, we? Bam, you want to be there. Go to ObsessedFest.com, click on the Get Your Tickets link. You can pick can choose what you want to come and do. Oh man, it's like a la carte. True it's crime a la carte. So great. Yes. Obsessed a la carte. Also, if you want more Jillian and me, join us at the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge yeah, right Yeah, so second. we do like the ad-free versions of these episodes and then the long-form series like yes. The Vow and Tiger King and Heaven's Gate and Lorena yes. and The Jinx and The Staircase and all that stuff. Serial season one. Yeah, that one time we did a podcast. <laughs> the Gacy thing from Peacock. Like, as that we Gacy thing from Peacock, yeah. The Menendez murders thing where Eric called on a payphone and basically narrated his life for six Episodes. Relentless. We relentless. never mention relentless, but relentless. <laughs> so much there. We do after parties. There's a tier where we send you some stuff. Come join the Patreon fam. It's so much fun. It's speaking of parties. I, I know. Mean, Patreon Part- is definitely a party. Hey. Party. That's it. We love you. Yeah, that was a lot. I know. We went on and on, didn't we? <laughs> All right, girl, explain to them what's happening today. All right, so we this is part one of our two-part episode covering the hunt for the Chicago Strangler that's on Discovery+. Plus. So the series itself is three episodes. We're yes. doing that thing where we're splitting it up into two episodes for us. And so the first one is happening right now. If you want episode two, you can get it ad-free right now on the Patreon. If you just got to know what happens. And yeah. this story is crazy. It's I've never so heard crazy. of this. And they're like sweet nerds with an algorithm oh, that no God, one listens I know. to. It's and great. I cannot spell algorithm. Just look at my, look at my notes. <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> there's a TH and a Y. Oh. Who knows? But a next, Y? No, there isn't. There's no Y in algorithm? There is not, isn't my there? sweet is summer there child. Not? There's not a Y in algorithm. Is there a Y in the word rhythm? Yes. Okay, well, explain to me how there's not a Y in algorithm. I, I got you on that one, GP. I didn't make the rules. <laughs> But anyway, episode two of this will be our regular episode next week. Right. But you can get it right now if you, you want it. You get it right this minute. I, and I, I recommend you do. Strangulation, asphyxiation, every single one of them done the same way. These are not random acts of street violence. Okay, so is there any marks or anything on her? No, but there's something wrapped around her neck. There's something wrapped around her neck. It screams serial killer. In my opinion, when you get to the black and brown communities, they get policed differently. 
You're talking about women who were thrown in the trash, who were found in abandoned buildings, like horrors. We continue to worry that 51 is not the right number. We know damn well it's more women than that. And then you say, well, we don't know why these things are happening here. Yes, you do. Because you've essentially created the perfect place to get away with murder. I have not heard of this case at all. Okay. Did you know anything about this? I did. You did? I knew a little I knew How a little you bit know of it. so much more about true crime than I do. It's my job. Okay. It's my life. <laughs> What have you been doing this whole time? No, I really don't. <laughs> Sitting here staring at your gorgeous oh, face. Oh, so you stop it. Tell me more. Flattery will get you everywhere. Well, get us started then. All right, so we start on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, so we meet Kayana Bickle. She's the daughter of Angela Ford. Yeah, so we're learning about, I mean, the Chicago Strangler or Stranglers. Yeah. Terrible, horrifying story. So a lot of the people we meet are families of the victims. Yeah, and so the thing that Kayana is telling us is that it was the end of the school year in 1999, and their mom, Angela, was walking to the school to get their report cards. Oh, I hated report card day because I never did well. Oh, I loved report card day. I did mediocre, but I loved people like the comments were always like, he's a pleasure to have in class. Yeah, mine, He's real social. Mine were always like, if she wasn't talking to Ashley and like, well, you put, you knew we're best friends. Don't put us in the same class. But this was like pre my ADHD diagnosis. So I was always like really scared of grades. Oh. So the minute they said report card day, I was like, oh God, I oh, hated no. report card day. Well, this one was especially bad because Kiana's mom, Angela, never comes back. I know. And we learned about Angela. My mother was really beautiful. Happy person, happy spirit. A lot of love in our house. Like, I remember this one time, some um, song came on, and it was like some 80s song. I just remember her dancing with my little brother. She has this great memory of like music coming on the radio. It was like 80s music, and her mom was dancing. And I said, it was 100% holiday. Absolutely. It was definitely holiday. holiday. Uh, Angela, yeah, she loved music, loved her kids, loved her family. Like, she really social. A lot yeah. of family gatherings where, like, music and Madonna was playing all the time. And we meet Riley Ford, who's Angela's father. Yeah. And, it, like, this poor family. Also, can I just ask a question? Sure. Why do people fucking kill people? The, number one. Yeah. That's, yes. I, I'm always asking Very that. basic question I feel like I wake here. up in the middle of the night screaming sure. why people are horrible to people. Yeah. But my other question is, uh-huh. can we do this better? Like, do we need to have the family saying the most gruesome parts about their family member about their daughter their sister their whatever like yeah. can we have some like news expert I be know. the ones to describe give the me like a Chandrea scene? remember Chandrea from yes. Phoenix Cold like, we need a Chandrea don't make Angela's poor father tell us that she was found strangled and sexually assaulted and clinging to life in an abandoned building can, you, can the dad get off the hook by I not saying know. that can we treat these people a little better like they can tell the story but don't say and again from the top about the sexual assault know, and I the know, murder I like know, the, I know. the family should not be doing that just a note that's all yeah that's it and we learned that after they find her body and they bring her to the hospital she's clinging to life her fucking small children are like basically brought in to see her yeah let's not do that either yeah let's yeah can we just protect the families a little more i I feel like no one's thinking of the families but the thing is like there's dna on angela's body and there's no match with anyone in the system and they don't know what happened to her after she left to go get those report cards i have to give a piece of information and then i have a request of you of me yeah because we learned that angela was in a coma for a year and a half yeah jillian Pensavale, you do not let that happen to I me. I don't. You do not. I'm pulling that plug. I will see. Steve's going to beat you to it with the smothering me with the pillow. <laughs> oh, great. Don't you? I'm like, Steve, it's just a broken leg. I'm fine. Stop. Shut up. Stop. Shut up. <laughs> uh, no, I'll pull the plug for you. Yeah, thank you. You got to get it in writing, though, because then I'll be accused of murder and then they'll be I literally said I'm officially turning over my medical power of attorney to Jillian. Okay, it's on the record yeah, now. Jar. It's out there now. Sorry, Steve. Move over. 
pulling that plug. <laughs> Look, everybody is has the right to do whatever they want to do with their, I guess, family members. Sure. But a year and a half in a coma, oh my god! I wonder if part of it. This is really, really dark and sad. But I wonder if part of it was to help solve the case. Maybe I don't Maybe know. That just sounds. I mean, it just sounds terrible for everybody. Right. But they have zero, speaking of terrible, there's zero information. No one's even trying. They were like passing Angela's case around. No one knows what they're doing or what's going on. You know, the police come by time to time, but they change detectives, you know, two or three times and what have you. And every time we talk to one, they knew less about the case. It's always some new person. They haven't been briefed on the information. And that, to me, we hear that a lot in this. That, like, the family's like, yeah, sure, the cops came every day for a week after the person went missing, but it was a different person every day. Yeah. And nobody knew anything. The cops really did a bad job here. And yeah. we're going it's, to, it's a whole it's a whole thing. And this is where we get the title of the episode. Yeah, because Riley, her, her dad says, yeah, I don't know if they've heard, but there's this thing called justice, and yeah. it's very important. Yeah. To which I say louder for the people in the back, Riley. I know. Like, at the end, at the end of this thing, he eventually says, I just have one request and it's that you do your jobs. Yes. To the cops. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're a cop, do it. Do God. the job. And the cops who are here are so fucking oh, defensive. Brandon or whatever his name <laughs> I is. Do I have some words for Brandon? <laughs> so we learned that right about the time that Angela was strangled, five more women were strangled and dumped, like, in the same year. Yeah, in 2001. And that's just the beginning. Yeah. Also, these these graphics are, like, so overwhelming. Because every now and then, like, we're dealing with eventually 51 strangled, yeah. murdered women. Yeah. And from time Time to time, they will do this really effective thing where they'll put the names on the on the screen yeah. and it fills it the screen. It fills the screen. 51 women. Yeah, so by 2018, we have 51 victims. They're barely reported. None of them are solved. None of them are solved. Yeah. And we learn about Rio, who's the 51st victim, and we meet her cousin, Ricardo. She was the level head person. Like, back in when I was younger and she was a little bit ways older than me, I was a boy in the environment of Inglewood, and she used to be telling me, like, use your brain, think. You have to be the leader. And when you lead, you got to lead smart. Man, she was a big influence on my life. I think about Rio every single day. This guy is fucking amazing. I know. I, he's like a survivor. He loved Rio. He loved, loved her. Loved, loved. I know. Ricardo also says she was sweet and level-headed, and I went, oh, God. This is why I can't be in a document. Like, yeah. This is why I no documentary can be made about me. I would say sweet. You're sweet to me. Maybe <laughs> okay. not other people. Level-headed. What are... <laughs> Mm. What are th- what do you think are some adjectives that would be used to describe me, GP? <laughs> what do you think? Sweet. Uh, okay, you, you already said that one. Loud. Uh, <laughs> um, um. Ambitious. Okay, great. Um, kind, thoughtful, generous. <laughs> generous would definitely be up there. You're like for sure one of the most generous oh, people. Oh, that's I really love that, but not level-headed. No, no, we're no. not going. <laughs> Absolutely not. I love the tombstone would say like she was generous. Yeah, level-headed. She was, she was not. She was. She liked you. She was good. <laughs> That's my tombstone. <laughs> Wait. We're going to be buried right next to each other oh, for great. eternity. Well, I'm going to pull the plug on you, so hey. It's true. Save me a spot. Uh, but, you know, Ricardo was saying Rio was a huge influence on his life, and it was because of her that he goes on to like be a leader, and we'll get back to that later. Right. So we learned that the overwhelming majority of these victims are black women, and we meet Jamie and Mickey. Jamie's a journalist, and yes. Mickey is this is an activist and an author, and they're amazing. And they're, they're realizing, like, why is no one looking into this? I 51 know. women killed the same way mostly black women. And 
the thing about these women is that, like, they're so smart and so calm. I know. When they don't need to be calm. You know what I mean? They're being calm on purpose because they know it gets them farther. This is a lesson I have yet to learn. Uh Because they are just, these women are just amazing. They're amazing. And so these journalists meet with someone named Reverend Robin Hood. That's his name. When I saw the lower third say Robin Hood, I was like, oh, okay. And he's also, like, doing good work for the community. So I'm like, wait, is is this like a, did he name himself Robin Hood? But no. You know what? This guy gets his own music. Too. Did you notice? Yes. Every time he's on screen, he gets that cool church music. He's a badass. <laughs> I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I started working on anti-violence, something that hit close to home. So it took me out the four walls of the church and started me working more than in the community. And one of my many messages that I preach is talking about the need for protecting our women and our girls. So he preaches about protecting black women and girls and, you know, we need to shine a light on this and solve these murders. And, like, the police, they are not taking it seriously. And he's calling them out. Yeah. And now we meet Brendan. He's the chief of detectives in the Chicago PD. And he is tone deaf and is very not aware of himself. He's so defensive. He's like, all cops are amazing. Everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's perfect. If you're looking for acknowledgement and ownership, you're not getting it from Brendan. No. Prepare to be disappointed. He's like, the cops all completely fucked up here. You know how we know none of these cases are still solved. Right, like they completely, I just completely fucked up. And he's here. I don't even know why he agreed to this interview. I don't All he wants to do is like say how amazing they are. Like totally blanket. Like, Brendan, the truth is somewhere in the middle, yeah. obviously. Like totally. don't just, just be like, everything's perfect. We're amazing. I don't know. <laughs> you know, at one point he says like, you know, when there's a serial killer on the loose, everyone looks at the cops to do something. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no shit. I know. I know. He's like, you know, I everyone know. everyone looks at the cops right. to find a serial killer. And quite frankly, it's offensive. And I'm like, Brendan? <laughs> You don't care about the black women. You, you have to say it. The I know. force doesn't care about them. Also, like, it. you literally have one job. It's to find the serial killers. Right, it's like, like your only job. And they come to the cop. And I just, I quite frankly. <laughs> how very dare how they. How very dare they ask the cops to find a murderer. So we learn in 2018, Chicago PD orders a review of all 51 cases with the assistance of the FBI. This is where we get the on-screen text that says, that review is ongoing today. So there's very little the police can divulge. To which I said, was this the best time to make this documentary? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> You know what I mean? We have two and a half more hours of this. <laughs> Gerald Hamilton, right? So yeah. he's a retired homicide detective of 30 years. I love this guy. He's like, I've seen it all. And he's describing like the south side of Chicago, which is very different from the north side. He he's says. like, it was bad. It was and, pretty bad. But what he says is. Even in policing, which, you know, I did for like 30 years, what the norm is in one particular neighborhood, sometimes only separated by a few blocks, is entirely different in another neighborhood, and uh, and it gets policed differently as well. Neighborhoods get policed differently. Yes. People get policed differently. Like, he's saying what Brendan should be saying. Yes. Like, you can be a cop and also admit, like, we have a real problem here. Yep, yep. It's true, and he says it's not uncommon for homicide detectives to be working a half dozen homicides at the same time. Sure. And what's so it's crazy... Job. Well, that's true, but that's just a lot of fucking, like, homicides. Of course. You know what we need, GP? Less what? murder. That's we need a, yes. less murder. Yes, stop murdering people. Somebody says to us at some point that somebody gets killed, it's assigned to a homicide detective. Another person gets killed, it's assigned to a different homicide detective. Right. Right, right, right. And unless these homicide detectives like meet for like, drinks, happen to talk to each other and share cases, yeah, there, there is no information shared. Because what we learn is that so many of these stranglings are happening in the same neighborhood, the same manner of death, literally down the block from each other, and they're just not being connected. Right. And so journalist Jamie tells us that these neighborhoods that this is all happening in like yeah. the south and west side of Chicago are primarily black neighborhoods and neighborhoods that the city has neglected. So no resources, a lot of high crime rate, low clearance rates. And so what we're learning is that some of these bodies are being found 
found in these like abandoned buildings. And Detective Gerald is saying these abandoned buildings are so common they have a name. They're like abandoned condominiums, so they call them abandonments. You know what I'm gonna call them? Abandoned They're condolebrities. 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 You did. I thought you were gonna go with the abandoned thing, man. I still surprise you, huh? I really. Even after all this time. After all this time. Still crazy after all these years. Anyway, but Mickey says Mickey has so many quotable things that she says, and one of them is like, and then you say, well, we don't know why these things are happening here. Yes, you do, because you've essentially created the perfect place to get away with murder. You created a perfect place to get away with murder. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God. I know. Mickey, holy shit. But I mean, imagine being a person who lives in that community coming to that realization. Right. And how completely unsafe you must feel. Right. And so like what happened was that the South and the West Side were comprised of people who wanted to live the American dream is what we learned. Like, you know, hearing great things about these neighborhoods. And then like racism happened because the more those neighborhoods filled up with black families, systemic racism came into play and banks weren't lending to black people and they were buying homes on contracts with high interest rates and they they were just set up to fail. Yeah. When we talk about systemic racism, this is what we're saying. We're with this woman, Beverly, who I love. She's like a little bit of a hippie and she's got like this spirit soul garden we're going to find out later. But she's saying that during the time that I was growing up, we lost Dr. King and both uh, Robert and John Kennedy. So there was a grief over the community and I'm sure that was for the country. But we felt particularly there was a loss of hope at the loss of those great men. And she was saying, like, I know that everybody in the country felt that, but it was especially bad for us. Right, of course. You know? So we meet Gwendolyn Williams, and she came from the South in the 60s up to Chicago, and her three siblings are here. Yeah, and she's one of our victims, Gwendolyn. Right, and so, like, they're looking at old photos. It's very, very sweet. I gotta say, can we just stop on these siblings for one second? Because, A, they love each other so much. They seem like they get along great. I feel like holidays at their house are super fun. Yes. There's two sisters and a brother. Yes. The brother and one of the sisters are so completely jacked. Yes. Have you seen them? Yeah. Like, at first I saw, like, the I, brother. I watched it. The, I watched it. <laughs> the brother looks like a bodybuilder. I know. And then a one person, the sister, Audrey, we see her, and I'm like, she, but she, like, legit must also be a bodybuilder. Whoa. Like, her must, she's got, like, legit guns. Yeah. I was amazed I by could this. never. I, I could never. I could never. <laughs> she looks fantastic. They all work, do. you guys. Yeah. I go to the gym, like, five times a week. I know. It's not really doing anything. I went it's for not... a run the other day. You what? On the treadmill. Oh, my God. I was tell you. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But they, you know, they described growing up and they said they didn't have much, but the love was so strong. They didn't even know they were poor. And like, you can tell, sweet. like, people say that, but like the way this family loves each other and like the brother says, you look at, they're going through all these old photos and we're seeing pictures of Gwen and they loved her so much. And they're like, look at how poor we were, but we like, look at the smiles on yeah, our faces. We were course. so happy. And Gwen was a big part of that. They said that like, Gwen put them and their happiness like ahead of herself. Right. And so like her brother said, this really heartbreaking and really poignant thing where after Gwen was found killed. Yeah. You have a family that's so close and you're so used to doing every single thing together. Everything together. You don't imagine anybody in that puzzle missing, not one piece missing. And they took her from us. You know, you done messed up our puzzle. 
they took her from us. You messed up my puzzle. And I was like, this is too heartbreaking. And they're like just sobbing. I know. It's so bad. It's so sad. But sister Sharon tells us about the day that Gwen was killed. Sharon says Sharon had foot surgery. And like Gwen, of course, like the selfless older sister, came to stay with her. And they were together for a couple days. They're cooking and eating cookies in bed. They said they're watching movie. But Gwen, the older sister, gets a phone call and then says to Sharon, I have to go. And Sharon's like, what are you talking about? Like, you were going to stay through the weekend and it was like only Tuesday. And she's like, no, I got to go, but I'm going to be back by Friday. And 24 hours later, Sharon gets a call from the detective that they had found Gwen dead in an alley. Right. And so Sharon is saying that phone call is significant. That phone call, like whoever she was talking to, wherever she had to rush off to, is significant in her case. And the cops didn't ask or care about the call. Yeah. So like they told them about this call and they said no one asked for the phone records. No one looked into this phone call. And another thing is that there was DNA found on Gwen, but it didn't match a known suspect. So no, there was no headway in the case. And I'm yeah. like, well, can you see if it, if it matches another victim? I, exactly. Like, can you just run it to see if there's any hit at all? Is that not is that not an option? Is it 501? Does everyone have to go home? Well, okay, and that's sorry. the thing is that like it just seems like we get this over and over again that like the cops were doing the bare minimum. Sorry, like white guy who's here to tell us how amazing the cops are and how not true. nobody looked away. Like they just they did the bare minimum. Somebody says if this had been 51 white blonde girls, it would have been a whole different fucking case. Of course, and we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. And Gerald says the retired cop of 30 years who yeah. is actually like honest about what's going on. In my opinion, most police, they actually do start like from altruistic beginning. They want to do some good in the hood. But unfortunately, the reality is when you get to the black and brown communities, when you get economically depressed areas, you know, they get policed differently. So he's like, I'm sure there's a good white cop out there who's yes. like really trying his best, but there's no way that he can like get it the way a person of color can. Because he says like you wake up in your white community and you go to police the black community like on the south side and you just don't understand the culture. Right. Everything looks different to you and it's scary or whatever. But then we're back with Gwen's sisters and brother and they say because the cops weren't doing anything, like we had to go do it ourselves. Exactly. This, this is a trend. It's like story. let the women do the work. We're with Audrey, the sister, and she's saying that like my brother was just knocking door to door being like did anyone see anything and where we are we're in the alley where they found Gwen's body this woman was brutally raped and murdered and her sister is like she would have been fighting for her yeah, life of course. these apartment buildings are on top of each other yeah. how did nobody see anything I know well, speaking of let the women do the work, yeah. there are two more here that we love. Three Please. more. We learn about Nancy Walker, who's another victim, and her friend and sister are here. So it's Del yeah. Marie is her friend and her sister Myrna. And these oh, women, my God. all of them I love are them so phenomenal. Much. Yeah, yeah. So we learn about Nancy. Nancy was a Renaissance woman. She was into owning property and real yes. estate. Yeah. And then she just decides, I'm going to buy a salon and be a hairstylist. And so she does it. And can we just say, oh, slow down on this for one second, because she bought a condo, then she bought a couple of townhouses, then she eventually buys a 17-unit building with a storefront. Yeah, and then she's like, I'm going to turn that storefront into a salon, and also I'm going to be a hairstylist there. I will get to that in a second. What? Who it's wants to own a 17-unit building? Nancy was into owning property. Can you imagine being a landlord like no. that, though? Oh, my God. But if I would want Nancy to be my landlord, totally. she's awesome. <laughs> And she buys a beauty salon so that her sister, Myrna, can come and work there. Right. And then she's like, I'm going to get in on this, too. <laughs> like, it's so easy. Like, just everything. Like, she puts, she just decides she wants to do things and she does it. And also, like, great. that's like millions of dollars in real estate, Nancy. Well oh, yeah. done. Well done. 
So Nancy and Myrna spoke every night before they went to sleep. Which seems like a lot. I love my sisters. I don't need to talk to them every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a lot. It's a, like every night before they went. And I feel even, Myrna's too nice to say it now, but I do think that Nancy got on Myrna's nerves a little bit. I think that they're sisters. Totally. Everyone, everyone gets on everyone's nerves. <laughs> right? And Nancy's if like the older sister. you did it, you're doing it wrong. Totally. You should be getting, the people you love, you should be getting on their nerves and they should be getting on yours. Is that true? You don't get on my nerves. I don't? No. Uh, you're perfect. All right. Well, then we're the exception. Can we do five more live shows this year? No. Okay. So... <laughs> So I got to work. Of course, my phone rung, and I was like, hello. She said, don't forget we're going to meet today. And I was like, okay. Then she called me again. And I was like, why you keep calling me? I'm at work. I said, I'll see you when I see you. And she was like, oh, I just wanted to say hey, and what a difference a day make. And I said, okay. All right, see you when I see you. And then the next morning, she's like, hey, girl, we're still on for lunch, though, right? She's like... (laughs) Yes. yes like, does we're Myrna in. have a history of flaking that we Maybe. don't know about? I don't know. <laughs> but but what Nancy calls and says is she like one of her favorite phrases, which is what a difference a day makes. Yes. So I guess she was having a bad day and that she was really excited to go to lunch with her sister. And Myrna wants us to know that Nancy was saying that. Yes. She's like, that could be significant. Right. Maybe but, something bad happened and then the day changed. What a exactly. difference a day makes. Right. What, what was going on that the day made a difference. And But like no one ever investigated. No. It, so we'll never not. know. Yeah. So Nancy never shows up to lunch and then her sister can't get in touch with her. And, and she, she goes. Myrna's really annoying. About this. But she goes, wait a second. Yeah. I didn't catch the annoyance. I miss all of Myrna's annoyance. Oh, <laughs> Myrna was super annoyed. She literally says, I got angry because she wasted my lunch. Right. To which I said, who are these people who are not going to 100 at all times? I know. Like, who are these people who are like, my sister didn't show up to lunch. I would be at the police station. Right. Which is basically what Myrna does. <laughs> because what happens is, this is another thing where I'm like, Nancy, what can't you do? So Myrna says, Nancy never shows up to lunch, can't get in touch with her. And also, she knew something was wrong when Nancy didn't show up to teach her dance class. I know. And I'm like, she also teaches <laughs> dance? Nancy's like the most well-rounded, I- like, she puts her, she gets an interest and she's like, I'm going to do that thing. And then she does it. Yeah. Like, she buys the real estate, she becomes a hairstylist, she teaches dance. Like, what can't she do? So these two amazing women, her friend and her sister, go to Nancy's condo and they break in. I'm like, let the women do the work. It's amazing. They're just like, we're they're at a zillion. Well, wait, what's the friend's name? Del Marie. We haven't talked about her much yet, but she's fucking amazing. She's awesome. And I love that they're both being interviewed together. Yes. I just love them. Yes. They go in and they see that like nothing is disturbed. Everything was in perfect order in her house. Her bed was made. So when I walked out of her bed, out of the bedroom that we broke in, I saw the dogs and they were in their little cage and they looked like they had been in there for two or three days. And at that point, we just died inside. And they say the next day, Myrna files a missing persons report and the cops try to say to her like, oh girl, she probably just went away for the weekend and didn't tell anybody. After confirming lunch twice and talking every (laughs) night, please. And then when Myrna's like, no, they're like, well then she's probably definitely an alcoholic. They went zero to alcoholic very fast. They went zero to alcoholic and then said, don't worry, she'll turn up by Monday. I know. And Myrna goes, she's a prominent businesswoman. Yeah, stop trying to make her out to be something she's not. It's like, okay, you're a cop, you're at work, can you do your job? Can you give a shit about somebody? And I say this like a lot on like OWD, we hear this all the time. Cops, like, very often are like, she's an adult. She can go missing if she wants to, you know. But that is lazy. Yes. That's you not doing your job. 100%. Just, like, make a phone call. Right. You know what I mean? You don't also have to go to alcoholic. You don't have to blame some, some yes. like, su- like, and also, who cares? Right. She's still a person. Exactly. Like, these people. Uh, right. So, Delmarie <laughs> is like, look, I used to be a reporter. What? Stop me in my tracks. I was like, Delmarie, is there anything you can't do? I know. These women are all amazing. I know. These are 
black women. And she goes, yeah. I know that black people aren't covered. And then she says, it wasn't going to be a story unless we make it a story. And yeah, I'm like, so yes! Delmarie decides she's going to hold a fucking press conference. She's like, I'm not waiting the weekend. No. Get the cameras rolling. Let's go right now. But then, like, Delmarie knows some assholes because they, like, come down to the press conference and they say to her after the fact, if you weren't involved in this, we wouldn't have even covered it. And it's like, you don't have to say that out loud. Right. You know what I mean? And you know why? Because this was happening the same time that Lacey Peterson case was happening. And, you know, they make this point very emphatically. You know, Lacey Peterson at the time had no connection whatsoever to Chicago, but somehow a white woman in California gets to be on the front page of a Chicago newspaper, but a black woman from Chicago gets to be at the back of the newspaper. You know, as a black woman, it's insulting. As a former reporter, it's insulting. How is it that Lacey Peterson was on page one of the Chicago newspapers and Nancy was on page 57? Lacey Peterson is on page one of all the major papers in Chicago. Every day. Every day. And Nancy's case is on page 57. Yeah. First of all, doesn't that say it all? But, but second, the, the other, can I just stop on this? Because yeah. I thought about that for a second. Like, yes. The other thing that's so fucked up about that is like everyone knows that Lacey Peterson went missing in Sacramento. They're not trying to find no, her no, in no. Chicago. No, no, no. They're trying to sell papers. They're trying to sell papers by just telling the salacious story. Like how fucked up. We have an actual woman who's actually missing. Right. And like they can't even say, well, we're trying to find Lacey Peterson. Right. They're not. They're not. They're not at all. But here, my question is, can't we do both? Yes. Like while you're waiting for a break in one case, yes. can you write about the other one? You know what I you mean? You know what though? We have to look in the mirror. You know why they don't it's because of us i know and i'm not saying you and me obviously but people in general don't buy newspapers with the picture of a black woman who's missing on the front cover buy that fucking buy the paper. paper care about I that know. i know it is wild to me the newspapers have a responsibility i am not letting them off the hook they should write unpopular stories that need to be written or whatever but you can do both exactly. you can you can, ha- you can talk about lacey peterson and sell papers and you can also try to find nancy totally. at the same time like, and they say she was on page 57 like, what i know she's here and she's one of the only women who got coverage at all. At all. One of the only women who gets coverage is on page 57. 50 other of these women got no coverage. I know. So now weeks and weeks and weeks are going by. It's eight weeks later, Myrna gets a call. It was one of the detectives who was working on the case. And he said, Myrna, we found something. But we're not sure what we found. We don't know And these were his words. We don't know if it's an animal or if it's human because we can't identify it. They say it might be an animal and it might be your sister. Everyone, I'm going to say we have to do better. I'm not like defending anyone here, but like we don't know the exact conversation. And the reason that they were calling was because they wanted dental records to identify this body. Right. I'm really hoping they didn't say it could either be an animal or your sister. I I mean. You know what I mean? But I I believe believe Myrna. Myrna. (laughs) Yeah, I believe Myrna. And they, so she gives them the dental records and they do confirm that it is her sister, Nancy. Right. And she was found in three bags. To this day, they've never found her torso. But they also say that this is like the only one of these women who was dismembered. So we're going to meet some like cute math nerds in the yeah. next episode. I've got a lot to say yeah, about it. Yeah, there's some question marks You know what here. I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know that all of these cases are connected, you know? Right, and so this is the end of episode one, yeah. not our episode one, the series episode one. And Myrna's saying, you know, she dreams about Nancy every night and like, Delmarie can't handle that someone got away with murder and it's like so many murders, like all oh, these strangled women are turning up constantly and there's no movement and no connection and Maybe there shouldn't be a connection. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. But that's how this first episode ends. Yes. 
So we jump right into episode two, The Hunt for the Chicago Strangler. It's called A Pattern of Murder. And we're with Reverend Robin Hood at this horrible, horrible place called, he calls it a dump site. Just huge mounds of concrete. We're in a field with him in the town where he grew up. And he's talking about his childhood. And he calls this area, he's like, back in the early 90s, we couldn't be standing here because it was a dump site. Now, I thought he meant it was just full of dead bodies. What they're saying was that it was an illegal dumping ground for like trash. trash and concrete. Which is awful and terrible and horrible for the neighborhood and awful and bad. But he's saying when the city finally cracked down on it and they cleaned that place up, they found seven bodies. Seven women's bodies. Seven women's bodies. We got on screen text saying that like, we're not saying that these bodies are connected to the strangling victims, but still seven bodies found in this one area. And what he's saying is it's just so clear that the system doesn't care because right. no one was investigating them. Like, did the cops even know that they should have been looking for these seven bodies? I know. And there's he's remembering from his childhood, like the entire community came out to watch these bodies be excavated based yeah. And he's like, it was devastating and heartbreaking because people standing next to me were related to some of these right. people they were pulling I know. out of this burial ground. And the cops were like, we're really exhausted. But it's like, I, oh, it's the whole thing of like seven women. I'm just talking about these seven. These seven. No one was looking for them. No one. We've got 51 other ones who've been strangled that no one's investigating. Yeah. How, How? I don't know. But Mickey's pissed about it too because Mickey, she's the author and activist yeah. and she goes, I am Chicago in my bones and my wind in my water. I was born here. Chicago is my home. It is also a home that doesn't love me back. Chicago is a home that doesn't love me back. You know, that really kicked me in yeah. the ass. Yeah. She's got away with words, this one. Yeah, and she's saying, like, especially as a black girl, she's too smart or she's not smart enough or she's not wearing the right clothes or she's yeah. in the wrong place. And she says, like, look, Chicago will not protect you. And they, right. like she said earlier, like, they've created a place where you can get away with murder. So as yeah. a black woman, yeah. how else is she supposed to feel? And we hear this throughout, like, even with archival footage of Malcolm X, like, just talking about how, like, the most vulnerable people in our country are black women. Yeah. They are the most likely to be murdered, the most likely to be attacked, the most likely to be sexually assaulted. It's really chilling to hear that fact over and over and over again. Yeah. Then Mickey says, like, she, again, she's doing the work because the yeah. cops aren't doing it. So she starts digging into the cases and she realizes that even the way they're being documented doesn't make sense. So it'll say something like, a person was found. Yes. A person. What What kind of person? Like, right. who are we looking for yeah. here? Like, the details were missing. And she says, so at first, there's hard to see if there's any connection. Because it's not even being talked about like that's even a possibility. And also, like, again, this is what we mean when we say it's systemic because it's like how it is all being handled from the beginning makes it impossible like no one's communicating the details are missing but you know what works the fact that Mickey is a quote chatty person chatty gal she goes I'm a chatty person yeah she starts asking people in the neighborhood she says one day my neighbor I was just chatting with my neighbor and she was the neighbor was like you gotta be careful because they keep finding those dead black girls and Mickey was like that was the first time I connected the dots like oh my god I turn on the news and they found a body I turn on the news and a person is missing I turn on the news and they like that was the moment that Mickey connected it like all of these dead bodies I'm hearing about are black women that are being killed. Right. And she describes this domino effect of I think sometimes it's easy to forget that when cases like this happen and you are talking to police and nothing happens the takeaway is that nothing is going to happen. So why should I talk to police? So they think nothing is ever going to happen. So I even bother talking to the cops right. ever, even if you have helpful information, because they're not going to take it. Right. So it sort of like breeds this, like no one is talking to anyone about anything. Right. Thank and you. I, I just want, except for Mickey, who's chatty. Who's chatty. And I just wanted to point out that being chatty and social and fun will save us all. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mickey. Thanks, Mickey. <laughs> and also being like super honest. Yes. <laughs> in yeah. In a very like accessible way. 
So it's November 12th, 2007, and Teresa Bunn is found. She's found because her body is burning behind a dumpster. Yeah, and it's like in an empty, vacant lot. And Gerald, the detective, was like, look at this place. It's pretty much a dead zone. It's large, vacant lots, you know, huge trees. Got the alley here. And you got the L tracks to the immediate east. I mean, you can come back here and uh, pretty much be undetected for uh, quite some time. You can come back here and dump a body and be undetected for quite some time. Right. Can we just get the floodlights back there? Forever. You know what I mean? We say it every time. If we know there's a great place to dump a body, let's light that shit up. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. No. There shouldn't be a known place that's good for dumping body. Just fix it. No cop. Cop should ever look at an area and be like, great place to dump a body. And the thing is, you don't even have to be, just set up the lights and then you don't have to be there. My God. My goodness. The horrible act of setting her body on fire is like drawing attention to it. Yes. Right? So like he was undetected while he was committing the horrible act and then wanted attention on it. Right. And we learn that the very next night, firefighters find another body in a trash can on the other side of the park that was killed in the same way and set on fire. Yeah, her name is Hazel Lewis. She was a mother of three and a grandmother. And since they find these two bodies back to back, now they start looking for possible connections. Yeah. And, oh my God, the cops immediately say the murders are unrelated. (laughs) (laughs) To which I have in my notes, I need a break. I can't handle this. This is infuriating. Like, back to back, the same exact way. No. No. Is there a possibility? Because, you know, what that means if it's connected then maybe it's bigger and that's more work for me uh-huh. and it's 502 uh-huh. and my meatloaf is on the table and like whenever you question them on it they're like it's an open investigation we can't tell you anything like tell me why right. you know they're not connected right and then i'll stop talking shit about you on my podcast right. i just want to know right and don't say everything we've ever done is fine and it's right. all great and everyone stop stop asking questions to the cops i'm gonna keep asking questions can you imagine if like any one of them ever sat down and was like you know what we kind of didn't do this of great course. we're getting better we now look back and we realize what we could have done differently and we're doing that now yeah. just take some accountability. No ownership at all. I know. None at all. Brendan, you shouldn't have shown up for this documentary. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you were thinking, buddy boy. So they say that Teresa Bunn's murderer was her ex, right? But they won't prosecute. There's not enough evidence. Cool. Yeah. Which is a way of saying like this isn't connected to the other strangulations we're talking right. about. Right. But but there's no information to this day about Hazel Lewis. Right. So how do you know that they're not connected if you don't know anything about Hazel? Right. Come on now. Yeah. Make it make sense. But now, okay. All right, everyone shut up. We have, like, (laughs) cute stats nerds here. Thomas Hargrove and Michael Arntfield. Thomas is the founder and board of directors chairman of the Murder Accountability Project. I prefer let's get the guy, but hey, Tommy, you're the expert. (laughs) Call it whatever you want. You're doing good work out there, Tommy. Who am I? Who am I to step on your toes here? So Thomas says to us, Chicago is a very difficult environment for homicide detectives. First of all, there are so many murders that the Chicago Police Department is overwhelmed. They're under-resourced. I don't know if they'll tell you that, but uh, I'll tell you that. There are way more murders in Chicago than there are people to solve them. Right. And he goes, Chicago PD is completely under-resourced. They're not going to tell you that, but I'll tell you that. Yeah, I love what he says. Which is kind of good to know. Like, I'm fine with them keeping that under wraps, because then it's open season. Right. If you're a murderer in Chicago. Oh, my God. Which it, like, kind of already is. Just ask Mickey. Well, Thomas says we are now approaching 6,000 unsolved murders in Chicago since the year 2000. That's crazy. 6,000. So Tom and his team are focusing on the Chicago strangulations, right? That's what they're doing now. And Thomas goes, look, I'm not saying that these cops are trying to fuck it up. Yeah. I'm just saying that they're really bad at this. And they are bad at this. And do you know what they call the condition these cops have? Are you going to say it or am I going to say it? You say it. Linkage blindness. When someone is killed, detective is assigned to the case. When someone else is killed, 
Usually a different detective is assigned to the case. If there are commonalities between those killings, those commonalities usually go unnoticed unless the detectives happen to have a conversation over the water cooler. So each cop is working on a murder in a vacuum. Right. And they're not looking for connections. And at this day and age, even in 2001 when this is happening, that's unacceptable. Because this is not the days of like everything on paper. And you can't say no technology. There was no database. There are databases in 2001. Give me a break. Well, and and now in 2010, Thomas is here with another one because he's telling us in 2010, he and his organization set about trying to see if they could teach computers to spot linked murders using data. And it works. Genius. It's genius. And so this is where we learn the word algorithm. Can you spell that word for me? A L G O R I T H M. I have A L G R O Y T H M. Say that again. Wait, I can't. My, my crazy brain, I can't see okay, it. Ready? Wait, wait. A L G R O Y T H M. Algorithm. Oh, why? That's Roy. Algorithm. Sweetheart. Algorithm. Liberty. I can do it too. I just hate it. That's all. Algorithm Liberty. Algorithm. Oh, however you spell we it. have arrived. <laughs> we have arrived. Oh boy. Oh man. Here's the thing. The vast majority of homicides that target women are solved quickly because she knows the piece of shit. Think about yeah. that. Really think about that. Additionally, strangulation cases have a clearance rate of 80% because, again, she knows the piece of shit. And clearance, I looked it up, means solved. Like yes. I, I was like, what a clearance? What does that mean? Again, I watched The Wire. I know, I know those words. Okay? <laughs> but yeah, 80% of the time, it's like an open and shut case because it's her fucking boyfriend or her brother or her dad. Because she knows the piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. But Thomas is saying when they look at Chicago, it flipped. The, now, yeah, the number are reversed. I'm a dummy and it t- I had to watch this a couple times to understand but they're saying in Chicago 70% of the cases are not solved. Right. Whereas in the greater universe 80% of the cases are solved. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas is saying But let me show you what happens to the chart when we look only at Chicago. Now 70% of the time the case was not solved. And we tell homicide detectives that when the bar charts flip like that you better know why that something bad has happened. It screams serial killer. It screams serial killer. Yes. It must be. If they don't know, it must be. Right. And so now we meet Mahogany Harris. She's a former sex worker and survivor. I gotta tell you, this is a stupid thing and who cares? I texted this to you. Mm -hmm. Mahogany is like supermodel beautiful. Yeah. I was like, this poor woman has been through unimaginable trauma. Yes. And I was like, fuck, she's so beautiful. Anyway. She's gorgeous. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but she is. It doesn't. It does not matter, but she is. Yeah. Facts are facts. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) sorry. Sometimes women are beautiful. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to say? Ignore it? Come on now. But she has this like truly harrowing story. And she tells the story where as a former sex worker, she was with somebody and she was strangled with a belt. Yeah. And we're driving past the location where this happened. And yeah. she's like, it was right there as they're driving by. I'm like, okay, if you're going to re-traumatize her to the like degree of Again. driving her to the, can we at least, I don't know, stop and see the, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, could she not be operating heavy machinery? Could she right. literally pull over? Yeah. For God's sake, we, like, we beg people to do it all the time. Here's the thing. Get these people these interviewees a fucking hotel conference room or take them to the place but don't put them in a car and drive them past it or make her she's driving isn't she no she's in the back seat. Oh, okay good <laughs> um but she th- what she does is as this guy she says this guy was strangling me to kill me yeah. not like as a sex thing right like a consensual sex thing i got strangled right there with the belt around my neck and i played dead because he was trying to strangle me to kill me So I just stopped moving and acted like I wasn't breathing. 
After that, he stopped strangling me. He raped me and then he left. And I, I didn't call the police. And she doesn't call the cops because, of course, she doesn't. Of like I mean, not. I mean that truly. No, like, I know. Why would she? I know. They're not going to help her. Nope. They're going to blame her. Yep. It's not going to matter. She's a sex worker anyway. It's part of the gig. Who cares? And she's black. Yeah. Why would they care? Right. And, like, this is where we just get more statistics that, like, we know in most patterns of serial killers, the most vulnerable women in the community are the ones that are targeted. Right. Like, sex workers and the gays in the 70s and the gacy thing. Right, you know right. what I mean? And they say, like, many, definitely not all, but many of the Chicago 51, as they're calling them, yeah. are sex workers. Yes. And they worked where Mahogany worked. And so she knew some of the victims. Yeah. And we uh, once again, we're like on a tour with Mahogany. Guys, we're driving past the area where Velma Howard was murdered. She was 50. She was killed in 2014. And then there was LaFonda Sue Wilson, who was 43, murdered in 2010. And Mahogany's like, oh my God, the guy that murdered LaFonda, I was in a hotel room with that guy like a day later. Right. And she's like, he tried to lock me in the room. I had to run kicking and screaming naked out of that room to save my life. Like the shit these women have seen. Like real survivors. My like the God. definition of the I know. So we're with Mickey, who once again is just like explaining it to us like we're five and making all the sense in the world. She's like, yeah, these women are seen as like, oh, well, they made their choices. And she goes, yeah, but did they? So like, let's talk about survival sex work real quick because what she's saying is like, there's no jobs and you need to eat and the way that you can earn is so severely limited before someone says, well, get a job. In some of these areas, there are no jobs in the neighborhood. The reality is that We are offering people bad choices. And then we are punishing them for not making a good choice out of the array of bad choices. It's ridiculous. These women, like, only are presented with bad choices. And then they're punished for choosing one of the bad choices like, that they were for that was like forced upon them. It's just like these people have to eat. They have to survive. Right. You know what I mean? And like we like you the royal you, the cops really. Yeah. Like you just have to care about people. And, when, like, and <laughs> none of all of this is beside the point. When are we gonna get the documentary where we don't have to learn that they were sex workers? Because who cares? Who cares? Who fucking cares? The only reason that's relevant is because we know the murderer is a John. Right. Like that maybe is useful information. And, but and we don't because, need to like it shouldn't matter. Because but it matters to the cops. Right. Because it's an easy way to say, yeah. well, you you asked for it. It's right. your job, and that's part of the business now, and whatever. One of the which cops, is not true. I'm just saying that's what they say. That cop guy, whatever his name is, Dina Han or whatever, he's here to say, of course he's not owning that he said that or that they believe that or whatever. He's saying that their line of work does complicate things because they have a lot of partners and it's hard to track all of them down. I do understand that. Please don't slut shame, Brendan. Don't do that. Don't be like, well, they they sleep with so many people, it's hard to keep track. If you're being strangled, yeah. and ra- you, you know, know I'm who not it is. I know you're right? not saying that. I'm yeah, saying yeah, Brendan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, these women aren't going to go to the, like, Brendan, then change it from within. Right. Make it so that these women feel safe yes. telling you that something horrible happened to them. A hundred percent. Instead of saying like, well, you probably can't keep track of who you had sex with today. <laughs> Brendan. But, but you know that that's not what I was saying. That's why I keep saying the name Brendan. Are you your name Brendan? No. No. No, I'm just saying that like, Brendan is trying to say that they're trying, but there's a lot of people to look at. Brendan, please. I know. Okay, great. Too bad. That's your job, Brendan. I'm so sorry. I no. That's like if I went I home and it was, and Mike was like, "How was how was recording?" But I, I talked a lot. I had to recap no. a movie today. That's my job. <laughs> I showed up to work knowing what to do. If you don't want to do your job, Brendan, go home. Now we meet Beverly Reed Scott. Oh She's God. a survivor and activist. Excuse and the, the hippie you. in the garden. And we are not meeting her. We've met her before. We've met her, but I we're really her. sitting down with her in her garden. She's in her soul garden. I love it. Did I you love not write it. Down soul garden. I wrote down plenty. Okay. <laughs> Beverly. Some of it was soul garden. She takes us into her soul. 
so guarded. And she's so like, you know, she's been through so much shit in her life. Yeah. The thing that she cares the most about in like being involved in like trying to understand these murders is like giving voice to these women because she was them right. once, right. you know? She said, in my late 20s, I was suffering from the throes of an addiction and also PTSD from childhood sexual abuse. I had no identity and I engaged in very high risk behavior. It was almost as if I um, was proving to myself just how worthless I felt my life was. She didn't feel like she had an identity and she says, I engaged in high risk behavior. Again, exactly what Mickey was saying. Like, right. She had a couple of choices in front of her. None of them were good. She made a choice. She said, it was almost like I was trying to prove to myself how worthless my oh, life God. was. You know, Beverly. and like, my God, the work that she's done on herself to be able to get to a place where she can say that out loud. I know. So she tells this other horrible story. One particular night, I, um, took a ride from a gentleman. It's, <laughs> that's, that's being super kind. She pauses to chuckle and say, that's being super kind. Right. Beverly. Because once you, know you what? hear she's about this. She's in the soul garden. You know right. what I mean? She's doing, she's doing the work. She has, and all of these women that we meet have done the fucking work. hundred percent. Mahogany, Beverly, like they've been through the therapy. They've looked inward. Yes. They are like, they are more well-adjusted than I will ever be. I just love the idea that one day Beverly was sitting at her like table having tea. She's like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make a soul garden. Yeah. You know what this place is lacking? That's a a soul, soul garden. garden. And it's like. I know. So beautiful and peaceful. And you could like feel how tranquil it is even through the screen. You know what? Like that <laughs> Makes Beverly what a Soul Garden celebrity. A Soul Garden celebrity. That's right. Celebrity. It's never going celebrity. Soul celebrity. You know what is going to be so maddening? What? I'm going to become really good at the celebrity bit. <laughs> like it's, I'm going to come up with. It's just going to. I'm just going to be able to like find a groove in it, and I'm going to come up with ones that you're going to love. And it's going to kill me. <laughs> Anytime any of it gets mentioned in the Facebook group, people are like, Jillian is so mad. And it mad. just happened. I know. <laughs> like, that episode just came out. Jen Shaw pleaded guilty. I heard. Today. Jen Shaw. Shaw. Shaw lever shotting it yeah. down. She, yeah, guilt celebrity. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> You are going to get good at this. You're going to be it's really gonna, It's going to kill me. <laughs> like, I'm going to resent it. Not you. I'm going to resent myself. I'm going to blame myself. <laughs> Because oh, I just, God. I can't help but blame myself for everything. Oh, man. But, you know, we're back to Beverly in the Soul Garden. She says that she was with a man one night. He took, you know, she was a sex worker. She gets in the car. He takes her to a super secluded area by fucking railroad tracks. He insists on her getting out of the car. He drags her onto the tracks where he rapes her and chokes her. And she was saying, like, you know, he was choking me, like, trying to kill me. And during Just like the, mahogany. Yeah. During this time... I just looked over and saw, like, flash, 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 scenes from my life. And as bad as it was, and as worthless as I felt, I still wanted to live. As much as I hated myself, I wanted to live. Yeah. So she played dead. Just like Mahogany did. Yeah. And he drove off. Yeah. And she says this is when, I mean, she always knew it, but this was a moment that she had where like all of these other, these 51 women that yeah. no one was caring about. She said like these women's lives had value. Yes. And she is going to do something about it. Exactly. 
So fam, we're going to stop there for episode one. Now, I got to tell you, in episode two, we're halfway through the episode two of the series. Yes. At the end of this episode in the series, this thing happens that my fucking jaw hit the floor. Oh, I think I know what it yes, is. Yes, and it's going to be one of the first things we're going to talk about in our episode two, which you can get right now and ad-free on the Patreon. If you remember, go get it. It's right there. It's going to be our regular episode next week, but it's bananas. It's bananas. Yeah. Fam, come see us at Obsessed Fest. Yes, Just a reminder, hang. it's September 30th, October 2nd in Columbus, Ohio. Get your tickets at ObsessedFest.com. It's going to be two and a half full days of like amazing, fun, true crime programming with all your best true crime friends. And then four live shows at night, Scamfluencers, Obsessed with Disappeared, Morbid, and then us. We're on Saturday night, right? We're closing it out on Saturday oh, night. Man. And then we have Drag Brunch on Sunday morning. I think we're hiring like eight to ten drag queens from Fantastic. Columbus. It's still never enough, but I I'll know. take eight to ten. <laughs> Also, join Jillian and me on the Patreon if you want more of us at Who Can Blame You. Oh, boy. Over 350 full ad-free bonus episodes to download Aww. and binge right this second. Yeah. And join our Facebook group. Yeah. And be your own soul garden. Be Find your, your own soul garden. <laughs> be your own cele- soul celebrity. Celebrity. <laughs> there it is. See? <laughs> All right, fam. Stay tuned for the outtakes. We don't have a trailer because it's just the it's part just two this. of this. Yeah. So we'll see you next week or we'll see you immediately right yeah. now. Go to the Patreon. It's, it's right there. Oh, yeah. my God. It's a big bombshell. You're like a I am obsessed with this. I am obsessed with I love it. Yeah, yeah. All right, I love you guys. Bye, I love you. Bye. So, but what? What? Sorry, I just lost my headphones. It's so hot in here. I want to make sure they. Because we're screaming about injustice. So your story is full of hoes. (laughs) Well, I never. It made me think of that episode of Fresh Prince where Aunt Viv comes into the dance class and the, the young best. girls try to shame her. That choreo's the absolute best. But then she can't catch her breath. She's trying to catch her breath when she leaves. Oh, it's so good. Aunt Viv number one is amazing. Remember when she and Will Smith like buried the hatchet on the reunion? That was really important that they did great. that. I know. I Aunt agree. Viv. Yeah. <laughs>